Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Gills Talk podcast. Today, we have Gills Club scientist, Dr. Molly Gabler-Smith. Molly is a functional morphologist interested in how animals use different tissues within and on their bodies for a certain function. She is currently in Massachusetts at Harvard University for a postdoctoral fellowship studying shark skin. So shark skin is made up of tiny scales called dermal denticles, and all species of sharks have denticles with different shapes and textures, which is the main question for her research. Why do sharks have different types of denticles, and what is the function of these denticles? We're going to learn about that and more in our interview with Molly. So let's get into it with our interview this week. Welcome to another Gills Talk podcast today. I have Gills Club scientist, Dr. Molly Gabler-Smith. She's also our featured Gills Club scientist on our Gills Club app right now as well. So after you're done listening to our podcast, head on over to the app and you can see her featured profile on there as well. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk about my research and talk to you about sharks. Yes. So speaking of your research right now, you're in your postdoc right now at Harvard looking at dermal denticles. So I just want to deep dive in and explain what you're doing. Yeah. So as you said, I study uh, dermal denticles on sharks. And for those of you who may not know what those are, um, if you you've ever touched a shark before and you rub them from their nose to their tail, they appear to be smooth. But if you rub them from their tail to their nose, they seem to be a little more rougher like sandpaper. And that uh, feeling is caused by the dermal denticles. And what's really interesting is that I love to tell people that sharks are covered in thousands of tiny teeth because the dermal denticles are actually made up of the same materials that your teeth are made up of. So that is, they are made up of enamel and dentin. And so what's really interesting about these dermal denticles is that um, not only do they differ between each species of sharks um, in shape and size, but they also differ within an individual. So that means that the dermal denticles that you see on the nose of, say, a great white shark would be different in shape and size compared to the ones you find on their dorsal fin, their tail, their body. And what I'm really interested in studying is how the shape and morphology of these scales actually influences flow around their body. And so I'm particularly interested in the hydrodynamics. I know you had um, Brooke Lang on here, uh, I think on Monday, and she is also very interested in hydrodynamics. So I think you got a little bit of background with her um, with fluid dynamics. But what I'm really interested in is in seeing how the water not only reacts to the body of the shark, but also how the water um, is interacting with these individual um, small microscopic structures on their skin. That's so cool. <laughs> I never realized <laughs> that denticles differed between like the body of the shark as well. I've been familiar that they differ between species, but I didn't realize that they changed as you like go throughout the body. Yeah, and so since we don't, we're not 100% sure of their function, there have been many proposed functions of dermal denticles, including decreasing abrasion, so sharks that maybe live on the ocean floor. There are denticles on the ventral, so the bottom side of sharks' bodies, and so we kind of hypothesized that potentially having denticles on the bottom of their body would help in abrasion reduction, and so those denticles differ from ones that we think might be used in hydrodynamic efficiency. And so sharks like mako sharks that swim really fast have 
um, denticles that differ, especially on their body and the um, pectoral fins and dorsal fin um, that are shaped more and have a structure that's more, um, or that's better for more efficiency in swimming. When we look at then denticles between sharks, so I know that, well, you just said that for the, the mako shark, they are changed well, I should say shaped differently because of their swimming and active things like that. So then if we look at the larger sharks, say like the whale shark, then are those denticles larger or smaller? Do we even know because they're more slower? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, I haven't actually studied whale shark denticles and I'm not quite sure anybody has actually looked at a whale shark body denticles yet. Um, I know they've looked at their denticles around their eyes but I can tell you that um, differences between sharks like mako and great white compared to other benthic uh, sharks that kind of live on the ocean floor like nurse sharks, um, they're totally different. And so nurse sharks tend to have really large denticles that um, don't have as many of the hydrodynamic characteristics that we see in mako sharks and white sharks. And so what I mean by those characteristics are uh, ridging. And so if you look at a denticle, sometimes there are these really small lines on them. And so the way that they're ridged also helps in aiding um, water flow over them. We don't really see that in nurse sharks. They're essentially like almost just like a square shaped denticle and they're really flat and they're big. And so we kind of think that um, for nurse sharks, these are functioning more as protection um, from either predators or perhaps when they're mating. Uh, so the skin is really thick, and so those denticles differ between those different species, and they have different functions because of their shape. So going back to mating, I don't know if this is known, but then they would a females be thicker than a male's because of mating habits between sharks? You know, that's a really good question, and I, I don't think we know that. I do know there are people, um, I think actually in Brooks Lab, who are specifically looking at um, nurse shark skin, and so perhaps maybe that is one question that they're thinking about um, looking at. But yeah, that would definitely be an interesting question since obviously the, the male sharks are definitely not attacking, but attaching themselves more harshly to a female shark. Mm -hmm. So many questions to be answered. <laughs> yeah, I know it's, it's funny because I feel like in science, I know they've said this before, but I feel like the more questions you ask, ask the more questions or you don't get any answers, you get more questions asked than answers. So it's always it's really very interesting. Incremental. Yes. I feel in like that is because there's so many questions around these dermal denticles that then that is a challenge then that you probably face as a scientist and being able to, I'm thinking obtaining samples to look at that is probably a challenge. Yeah, definitely. Um, getting samples from any type of live specimen is always hard. We've been really lucky that we work with many other scientists that do a lot of shark studies. And so we can usually get a good uh, sampling of different types of skin from different sharks. But what's also really good for me is that because I'm at Harvard, they have a museum there. And so the ichthyology collection has lots and lots of sharks. Um, and so I can use a lot of those shark specimens that we have in the collection to start looking at some of these differences in dermal denticles. That's really incredible to be able then to tap in to these museum cu curations and to be able to, so you don't always have to rely on a live specimen. 
as well. So when you look at a live specimen, is that taken then by like a fin clip or how, how does that work? Yeah, so normally we need a, a relatively large piece of skin. And so unfortunately, most of our skin samples come from animals that have washed up on the beach, um, who are what are usually uh, dead. Um, but we do take a lot of skin samples from that. We also work with other people who might need other parts of the animal, like muscle tissue, who are doing more physiological research. Um, so even though the animal has died, we actually do a very good job at making sure that almost all pieces of tissue um, are being used to answer some type of uh, scientific question. Yeah, and that's great to hear because it is incredibly sad to see an animal die, but then there's so many things that scientists like you are trying to figure out that we can only really learn from when it's obtaining that specimen that is deceased. So it is that um, that full circle moment, I guess you you you, you can say. So. Yeah, exactly. It's, always, it's definitely really good to know that um, even though an animal is dying, we, we take advantage of all of those to learn more about their biology. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So when we are then looking at these different types of species, um, were you always looking like was dermal denticles your goal at like at one point in your life or like what led you to this part of your career? So that's a really interesting question. Um, so I actually didn't start out studying sharks. Um, I'm originally from Pennsylvania. And so... Ooh. It was really interesting to see um, how kind of my marine biology career started, even though I came from like a landlocked state that has no interaction really with the ocean. So I was really interested at the beginning at studying stingray muscle. And so I did a lot of work with uh, batoid species and looking at how the muscle is arranged in their pectoral fins and how it kind of enables them to swim differently than sharks or other fish. And then I actually did my PhD in Wilmington, North Carolina, but I was studying adipose tissue in diving tetrapods. And so essentially it was anything that breathes air. So seabirds, sea turtles, marine mammals, pretty much anything other than fish. And so it's interesting that I kind of, I did full circle on the elasmobranch side, but I had never really studied sharks before. Um, and it just kind of happened that it worked out that um, I applied for a postdoc and I found out that someone at Harvard, Dr. Lauder, was interested in looking at uh, shark skin. And so because I'm really interested throughout my entire scientific career, I've been really interested in how the tissues within an animal function for that animal to, sur to survive in specific environments. It kind of was just right up my alley about looking at shark skin and also I, I feel like I love marine mammals, but I will always have a, a fond a fondness for elasmobranch species. And so sharks kind of were perfect um, for me to kind of get there. So no, I was not initially looking to study dermal denticles, but just kind of happened upon that research was available and it was really interesting and it fit within my career goals. So, yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. And I think it's a common theme along the interviews that we've been doing so far is that this was never the imagined end goal, but it's just these experiences that you've accumulated throughout your, your career has led you to this. And it's really just pr proving. And again, it's been a theme with this podcast that like your path is not straight and, and straight and, air and narrow. It's has winds and curves and it kind of takes you on this like wild ride throughout your career. Exactly. And I think it's funny because if I could go back and kind of like 
tell myself or tell anyone who is kind of a budding scientist, like you don't have to know what you want to do right away. There's like you just said, there isn't a straight path. There's always opportunity to do many different things um, and learn kind of what you really are interested in and what you're passionate about along the way. Um, and then you kind of just, you find what you love and then you just keep doing it. Yeah, absolutely. So was then that something that you didn't expect as being a scientist, being able to kind of do these different paths or was it something else that you weren't expecting? So, I mean, I definitely wasn't expecting to go from um, elasmobranchs to marine mammals back to elasmobranchs. Uh, but I, I also was really surprised at how integrative science can be. And so when you pick something to study or if you start studying something, it's not like you're just studying that one um, topic or specimen forever. I feel like what surprised me about my scientific career was that it's a more, I'm trying to take a more integrative approach. And so even though I'm trained as a biologist, I'm currently working with um, engineers and people who have much different backgrounds than me in order to understand more fully how um, organisms survive in the wild and then also kind of how we can apply what we know about nature and biology uh, to more human devices. And so I guess for an example of that would be particularly my the dermal denticles that I'm studying. The Navy is super interested in figuring out how to make uh, machines or things that are attached to boats more energy efficient. And so essentially printing and putting dermal denticle like structures on boat propellers would essentially make them more efficient in the water. So it's really interesting to see how integrative biology and then also like learning about how you can apply that to real life situations using other things like engineering and biomechanics to understand how we might benefit from some of these natural occurrences. Mm -hmm. It's so interdisciplinary, you know, and being able to hear that, you know, we're using shark knowledge to help boats in our military and Correct me if, if, if I'm wrong, but I've also heard that people, they use it as like skin graft healing for humans too, as well. Or am I hearing that wrong? Yes. Yeah. I think they're actually starting, I think it might be Marion Porter, but someone is starting to think about looking at how, because we know shark skin is like super healthy. They don't really have a lot of bacteria growing on their skin. And so the skin is super interesting, especially for healthcare purposes. And so that's definitely something that I think is research that's ongoing. I don't know much about it, but I definitely know that's something that's happening. Yeah. Um, like I said, totally like this interdisciplinary way of being able to kind of take this one area of study and kind of mesh it into so many different things that affect all of us, um, not just here within the U.S., but on a worldwide level, which is pretty incredible. But you've been mentioning you've been working with nurse shark denticles and other species as well. But is there a shark species that you really want to like, not to like pun here, like dive into <laughs> and um, really learn, learn about more? Yeah. So, I mean, if I hadn't, so I, I don't know if this is on the uh, website, but I was lucky enough to study basking sharks during some of my PhD. And so if I had, didn't have the opportunity, basking sharks would be definitely number one uh, shark species. I think they're incredible and they're so fascinating to me. But because I did get to uh, be on a boat around them, I would have to say Greenland sharks are so interesting to me physiologically, 
biologically, they are just crazy. And I would love to study their skin. <laughs> yeah. So for anyone that is listening and doesn't know, um, the Greenland shark is the oldest species of shark that we know of, at, at, at least for now. So yeah, that would be really interesting to see how it helps them. Like, I mean, I would assume because they're living in such cold water, their denticles have to help them in, in some way uh, to be able to help them be able to live for that long. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And another interesting thing um, that we're starting to kind of look into with the dentical research is how denticles form and how they're replaced. And so we don't know a whole lot about when a denticle falls out of the skin. How is it replaced? How does it grow back? Is it growing or is it fully formed? And I think it could be really interesting to study an animal that lives for hundreds of years to see how its denticles are replacing themselves. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that um, they fall off and grow. So do they like, I don't want to say shed, but shed their skin like how like as, as humans, our skin cells are continuously regenerating and growing? Yeah, so we, we do know that um, denticles definitely fall out almost kind of like sharks lose their teeth. Um, they have that conveyor belt where their teeth are, are always there, but they're like losing them in rows. But we don't actually know exactly how the mechanism in replacement of denticles works in shark skin. So we have seen holes or um, depressions on the skin where there definitely was a denticle, but there is not one, there's no longer one there. Um, but we don't really know the mechanism of how they regrow kind of like a shed denticle. We know a little bit about how they repair their skin after being wounded, but we think the mechanism is different for how they're replacing just a normal denticle that may have um, either they rubbed against something or another animal rubbed against them and it just kind of um, fell out. Uh, those are questions that we're still really looking into. And so I'm very interested in seeing what happens with that research. That is super interesting. Who, who would have thought? Well, I'm sure, well, you might've thought, but not us nor the ordinary people <laughs> going back to how they use it for defense um i know that sharks can use their skin to defend themselves in a way but do they use it as um like smaller species of sharks how they're not using their teeth like a great white would like do they use their skin almost in that way if that makes sense so i think more i think for defense of um, the defense uh, function for denticles, I think is more of a way of defending parasites or perhaps like remoras from attaching. I'm not, I'm not aware of any instance where they might use it as like a physical defense mechanism against each other or other species. But I certainly know, would expect that um, the denticles that are being used as a function of defense would be to keep parasites or other individuals from attaching onto them awesome thank you I was that was just it was just a question that popped up in my mind as, as you were talking I wanted to see maybe if you knew it or not so <laughs> um, but as we're kind of rounding out our interview today here so we talked about already what your bucket list shark is um, but what do you want to see then eventually for your research and what would you like what's your pie in the sky goal <laughs> that's such a great question. I feel like that's kind of like the one where people are like asking you when you're younger, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> so I think, I mean, I'm really interested in uh, ecology and conservation. And so if I could really design 
some type of like career path for myself, I think it would be some combination of being able to study functional morphology, but also use tagging information that we know about their biology as a way to also kind of start to infer how um, densicals function on animals. And so what I mean by that is if we could perhaps see different interactions occurring, maybe using underwater video that attached or that's attached to like a tag that they use um, at the conservancy with white sharks, if we could see some of these activities happening, I think it would be really cool to kind of relate that to the function of denticles. But yeah, I think I would really love to be able to study more denticles in the wild. And so like we talked about at the beginning, I think for me, I love doing lab research, but I also think it would be really cool to be able to get live samples of shark skin and look at the denticles that way too. Um, and not necessarily just look at them after the animal has passed away, but to look at them in a live specimen. So I think that could be a really cool avenue of research that hopefully can happen in the future. I think so too. That sounds super fascinating. <laughs> I know we kind of touched on this earlier with um, advice you would give to your younger self. I know we talked about this with your path that it's always not going to be straight, but is there any other advice that you would give to yourself? So I would say one of the most important things to remember is just like in my career and even yours, I guess, too, um, you don't have to be near an ocean to study marine biology. Um, there are many great departments and uh, people who are studying sharks, as well as any any kind of marine biology science that aren't necessarily in an ocean or near an ocean. So just keep that in mind and always take advantage of kind of any opportunity you have to do research or to work with a scientist. I know sometimes the, the opportunities may be hard to find, but be persistent and take advantage of every kind of opportunity that you can. I feel like as an undergrad, I may not have done that enough. And I think Luckily, I got to do that as a master's student in graduate school, but if I could tell people who are really interested in not even just shark biologists, but any kind of marine biology um, major, I think taking advantage of any research opportunity is, is really key to becoming a, a successful scientist. I think that is great advice to end on. But before we do wrap up, Molly, is there any social media profiles that anyone can follow you on to keep up to date with your research? Sure. Um, so you can follow me on Twitter at MarBioMall. Um, I post a lot of dentical stuff on my Twitter page. Perfect. Well, then, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, and I hope to maybe be able to see, see you soon. I'll drive up from the Cape and we can do something in Harvard or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for having me, Kristen. Absolutely. Thank you. I hope you all enjoyed that interview with Dr. Molly Gabler-Smith. It's so interesting to hear the current research that is going on with shark skin and their dermal denticles and seeing how they are being used, not just to learn further about that species of shark, but seeing how people like our military are using it to make our boats more effective and as well as going into the medical field as well for ourselves and being able to help with our skin with severe burns. It was really great to hear from Molly being a Pennsylvanian girl myself and seeing how her current career 
has led her to where she is right now. If you would like to keep up with Molly and her research, again, you can follow her on Twitter at MarBioMole, which is M-A-R-B-I-O-M-O-L-L. There, there will be a link to her Twitter within the description of this podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Gills Talk podcast. Please remember to rate, subscribe, and review. And as always, remember to stay curious, stay inspired, and always learn. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye, everyone.